Sportsnet Radio Network, Rob Wong with you on this Saturday. Joined alongside by Mark Poffo and Colin Teske. Uh, it's not uh, Saturday night just yet, but how can you not play this song every single Saturday of your entire life, Colin? This is a banger. It never gets old, man. I'm glad you suggested this, too, before the show. You actually requested that with uh, Andrew Holland before. So yeah, this is, one of the, this is one of the first CDs that I ever bought in really? the 90s. Dance Mix 95 was one of the first ones I ever had. Um, the first musical thing, I guess music uh, album, if you will, that I ever bought was a Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette on cassette. There you I go. didn't even have it on CD yet, but Dance Mix 95 was one of the first CDs I ever purchased. I remember owning the cassette of this, Dance Mix 95, and I believe I bought it at, uh, well, I didn't, my parents bought it for me, <laughs> at uh, Loblaws, like back in the nice. day. Remember they used to sell like videos and yeah, CDs course. and cassettes, like the top like 10 bestsellers, whatever they were that week or that month. So yeah, that's where uh, that's where I was able to experience Saturday night for the first time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill at uh, Zeller's. Shout out Zeller's, which no Zellers. longer exists anymore. It's good to know that we can have, you know, three people in this room that know what cassettes are, because as we know with the uh, newer generation, you even give them like a cassette player and they're like, here, figure this out. And they're like, I have no idea what that is and how to even operate it. But Those were heavy duty too. Oh, like, walk Those were yeah. massive. Massive. Yeah, they were pretty big. I mean, even like portable CD players were pretty big because um, they had to be, of course, to, to be able to play the CD. But I remember having a Panasonic Shockwave. That was like my favorite CD player uh, growing up. But uh, technology, how much it has changed. I mean, we can just listen to Alanis Morissette in Wigfield just on my phone right now that's uh, sitting right next to me. So uh, pretty cool to be living in the year uh, 2020. Lots of sports to be talking about, of course. The Maple Leafs not playing tonight. A rare Saturday night off for the Toronto Maple Leafs as they are back at it tomorrow on the road in Florida against the Panthers. We are pretty much at the midway point of the season. So we'll talk in a few minutes about our midseason awards for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll chat a little bit about the uh, team and its current state right now as some players are set to return, possibly Andreas Janssen tomorrow. So uh, some moves definitely coming for the Maple Leafs uh, when it comes to the roster. Trevor Moore on his way back as well. So we'll talk about what that means for this team who might uh, be stepping out of the lineup when those players do make their return. We'll, of course, take a look around the NHL. What's going wrong with the Montreal Canadiens right now who are going through another losing streak a tough one right now Brendan Gallagher uh, dealing with some headaches right now so we'll get into that we'll of course preview the divisional round in the National Football League playoffs which uh, get going today with a couple of games and we'll talk about the Toronto Raptors as well but gentlemen we begin with the Toronto Maple Leafs who uh, this past week didn't exactly play their best hockey they got their doors blown off by Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers and then they lose a tough one there to the Winnipeg Jets but overall 15-5 and two since Sheldon Keefe took over as head coach. Um, so not too much to complain about when it comes to the uh, turnaround that they've had so far uh, under their new head coach. And they're right back in the thick of the playoffs. You know, you look at different websites and the playoff percentages and the chances of making the postseason. The Maple Leafs are right up there where they were at the beginning of the season. So the uh, ship is uh, back on track, if you will. 
And a lot of that has to do with uh, the coach, but a lot of that has to do with the players as well, who have really been flourishing under Sheldon Keefe. And if we're talking just straight up MVPs for this team, uh, you know, Frederick Anderson obviously would have had a case last month. I mean, he is clearly one of, if not the most important players on this team when he's at his best. But I don't know how you can't give this award to Austin Matthews so far because he's been just unbelievable, set to have a career season, possibly eclipse that 50 goal total for the first time in his career. And you see that game the other night against the Winnipeg Jets. The Maple Leafs obviously do not get a point without Austin Matthews' heroics. He was just dominant in that game. There are still some nights where he isn't as dominant, but if we're talking about who the MVP for this Maple Leafs team is, Mark, uh, I think for me, it's Austin Matthews. Where are you looking? Hey, it's... uh... I hate to sound so obvious and be be in agreement with you, Rob, but listen, the guy's been everything and more for this team. 31 goals on the year, 54 points, and like like you said, he just seems to be stepping up in the moment when it matters. They're down a goal. They need, they need to tie it up against the Jets, and he just tees one up from, like, I can count on one hand in the NHL, like how many guys just bomb away a shot like that. And, and he's, he's been amazing. And, you know, I think there was always a bit of not underwhelm, not underwhelming. That's the wrong word, but you know, in previous seasons, he'd kind of been banged up. He had some different injuries and whatnot. And you were kind of maybe left, left saying he's been great, but, he can really it just seems like he's scratching the surface there's more there and now he's been he's suited up in every game he's looking dominant and he really is looking like an mvp candidate not just for the team but for the whole league in my opinion yeah i'll just complete the clean sweep on austin matthews on this panel i think all of us knew he had this kind of talent we knew he was going to break through at some point but i really think when you look at his body of work this season how he's got 31 goals, how that's far and away better than anybody else on the team right now. You can just look at him now as maybe the one of the biggest must-watch players in the NHL, and I think his game can still get better from here. Like I think he can be a perennial 40-50 goal guy if he continues to work at this. One thing I will mention about Austin Matthews that I'm noticing is defensively, we're starting to see him really get better in that area of the game. He's a plus 17 already this season. So I didn't expect to see the defensive side of the game um, make this much of a leap this season, but that's something that he's really bought into. And I attribute that to coaching as well. I think Sheldon Keefe is bringing the best out of him. Well, there's definitely lots of aspects to his game that, you know, still need some work. Of course, I think he's, you know, definitely underrated defensively. I think people, uh, you know, see occasional moments where maybe he doesn't get back on the back check or he's kind of floating around in the defensive end. Um, But you look at the skills this guy has, he's one of the best at taking the puck away from opposing players with that, uh, you know, crafty little stick lift that he likes to do. Um, He is physical at times when he wants to be. I think part of that is it's the regular season right now. And for a guy that has missed games before due to injury, not saying that uh, he's shying away from contact, but you pick and choose your spots. Cause I think we have seen games this year where he has been, you know, physical on the forecheck, lay in the body. Um, but you want this guy to be healthy. Like, do I want Austin Matthews running around and hitting people like Tom Wilson, or do I want him to conserve his energy at times and pick his spots? Like I'd rather him do that than just be an absolute train on every single shift. Like that's just not his game. Like I know there are players that play that way, but Austin Matthews does not, but the, the litmus test will become playoff time. Will he be, you know, that type of player use his physicality? Cause he is a big bodied guy 
and uh, to use that adv- to that to his advantage would be very, very good. Um, but I like the point that you brought up, Mark, that not only is he an MVP candidate with the Maple Leafs, but he's probably an MVP candidate at this point in the National Hockey League. We know that, uh, you know, writers, when they pick those types of awards, they like to look at teams that are winning. It's uh, why Connor McDavid was uh, denied a, a Hart Trophy in recent years because his Edmonton Oilers were not very good. So you have a team in the Maple Leafs that are nine games above 500, 24, 15, and six. You have a guy that's near the top of the league in goal scoring and points. So he's definitely in that conversation. And it's not even crazy. Like Austin Matthews went first overall. He's had all this pedigree. You would have thought he'd be in the Hart Trophy conversation at some point in his career. And to be doing it this season is definitely an absolute treat to watch. And Connor McDavid still, we saw the other night, the best offensive player in the league. Like that's no doubt, arguably the greatest offensive player of all time with the things that he can do. And we're in an era right now where the the skill is just off the charts. You see David Pasternak with a, a hat trick the other night. He uh, is leading Austin Matthews in the uh, Maurice Rocket Richard uh, goal scoring lead right now with 35. And Austin Matthews has 31. Nathan McKinnon's having a great season. Jack Eichel's having a great season. You know, Alex Ovechkin, Artemi Panarin, the list goes on and on and on. Um, I, I wonder if Connor or sorry, Austin Matthews will be able to get to a place where people look at him and Connor McDavid as one and two. Like I think Austin Matthews has to take his game to another level because we've seen McDavid um, do that. But having watched him do what he's done this year with the amount of consistency, if he can stay healthy, I think that can be a conversation where, where Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid are one and two. It's tough competition because McDavid is uh, unreal, of course, Mark. But um, from what you've seen this year, do you, do you think that's now a possibility? I know it sounds so, you know, Toronto radio uh, clickbait, if you will, to have this conversation, McDavid or Matthews. Like, I'm still going McDavid. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I wonder now with Austin Matthews if um, there's a chance for him, especially in the Sheldon Keefe system where at times he's playing, you know, 23 minutes a night. Can he put up numbers where he's in that conversation? I, th- I think he can. And you know what? Like you mentioned, he has the pedigree of being a number one overall pick and just like McDavid. And, you know, you don't, you don't even have to look too hard. I mean, I, I believe the Monday night game between the Oilers and Leafs was even broadcast nationally in the States. Like people want to see that McDavid Matthews matchup and because they are in that same league and they're slightly different players. Like I, as good of a skater as Austin Matthews is, uh, I mean, I think Connor McDavid just hasn't beat. He's the best skater in the NHL as you saw in that goal on Monday night. Uh, and so their games are a bit different, but, and I think McDavid is a bit more, you know, sharper of a setup man, but man, like you cannot, deny what Austin Matthews is doing and he did it the very first game of his NHL career when he scored four goals he told you that he was going to be a special player so I'm I think you're just really seeing it all come together now and in his fourth year he's he's got the the big money contract sometimes you can see players wilt when when that happens You, you have trouble you know living up to the pressure of the of the deal and he just seems to be somebody that relishes the opportunity he likes to be the alpha and he has, it's been paying off huge. He's been, and like Colin said, the two-way games improved too. I mean, not to just to look at the at the plus minus of being plus 17, but just the eye test. Like you can see that, especially since Keith's come over, that he's looked a lot more engaged on both ends of the ice. And I really think just the usage that Sheldon Keefe is doing now that he's the head coach, I think that's made a big difference. I think we all were waiting to see 
Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, those guys play a lot more. And now I think we can say that the gap is getting a little bit closer when you start talking about Austin Matthews maybe being in that conversation around being the MVP. And I want to see now more into the season when we get into April, if he's still playing 23 minutes a night, I really want to see what his numbers will look like. And this is what we've been waiting for since he was drafted first overall. We want to see him being the guy out there in all situations and playing a lot of minutes and, and give credit to Sheldon Keefe for actually putting him in that position. Yeah, it is pretty wild. Austin Matthews uh, leads the league in even strength goals since joining the NHL. And this is a guy that's missed a lot of games due to injuries. So you think if he was healthy for uh, even half of those games, how many more goals he would have at this point, it, it really is incredible. Um, the pace that he's on right now when it comes to, to goal scoring and, you know, by the end of his career, where that's going to put him among the greats. I mean, he's already, what, the first NHL player, I think, born in the U.S. to have four 30-goal uh, seasons, four straight 30-goal seasons. So um, this guy clearly uh, is just on another level right now with the way that he is playing. So Austin Matthews is the uh, MVP for all of us at the midway point of this season. If we're, we're looking at biggest surprise for you guys this year where where are we going to start because i think there are uh, a lot of candidates here you know pierre engvall has made uh, a late push here for that award i think um but i i still believe that the the biggest surprise has to be Ilya mikhaev i mean from jump from game number one it was pretty obvious that the maple leafs had something in this guy and it's disappointing that he's on the shelf right now most likely out for the rest of the season maybe he'll be back in time for the playoffs, but uh, this guy has been found money. And you always wonder sometimes how Russian players are going to make that jump. We've seen a lot of good, uh, but we've also seen some bad. Uh, you know, here, of course, in Toronto, Nikita Zaitsev was not particularly great. You look at a guy like Nikita Gusev in New Jersey, hasn't exact, exactly gotten up to the type of start that uh, maybe people thought they were he was going to when he joined the New Jersey Devils. Uh, but Ilya Mikheyev, uh, my goodness, this guy, uh, hopefully the Maple Leafs can get him under contract and, and keep him here because uh, this guy, for me, Mark, has been the biggest surprise for the Maple Leafs this year. We knew that the Leafs would have to find, you know, some some cheap gems to fill out their roster, knowing how, how top-heavy they are and, and the money they spent. Mikheyev has been great for what he's for what he's uh, brought to the table. Unfortunately, with that injury, it's going to be a while until you see him again. But my my surprise, is, you know, it's a little bit of a, uh, a negative surprise is Tyson Berry for me. I was really, I was really, you know, excited when he came over. I thought it was a great move and I was really leading the charge in terms of, I just thought he would be having a great season in a contract year. And, so it was a bit disappointing for me personally, just because I, I had those thoughts coming into the season. I think we're seeing now that he's a lot more comfortable under Keefe, just as the whole team is really. So it's a bit of a disappoint. It's that's been the dis uh, the surprise for me that he has that he's been disappointing up to this part in the season. But it's also a bit of like an incomplete grade I, I find now as well, just because I feel like he could still have a big second half after uh, the coaching change. Yeah, I really don't think Tyson Berry was put in the right position under Mike Babcock. I really want to see a couple more months with Sheldon Keefe, just how he can have a resurgence here in Toronto. But for me, guys, it, it's Justin Hall. I mean, this guy only played 11 games last year, was a healthy scratch most nights, would work out during games, didn't get much game action, was a minus five in those 11 games. He's played 43 games this year. And at his level of his contract right now, only 700,000. This guy's been a really solid bottom four guy in your rotation for for Sheldon Keefe and he's playing 16 minutes a night so I think he's been the biggest pleasant surprise 
for me. Yeah, definitely hard uh, not to look his way uh, for Justin Hall, the guy, like you mentioned, uh, only played 11 games last year before uh, just becoming a force this year with the Maple Leafs. He has become a big storyline as well, getting that contract extension and looks to have solidified himself as, as really the shutdown guy alongside Jake Munson when he returns and now getting some run with uh, Travis Dermott. Uh, it's really been interesting to watch this Maple Leafs team under Sheldon Keefe because it feels like a lot of guys have really started to flourish. I mean, Mitch Marner coming back from his uh, ankle injury has looked really good. William Nylander, John Tavares, Pierre Engvall, as I mentioned, J- Jason Spezza uh, has looked very good under uh, Sheldon Keefe. So uh, the the golden touch has really been uh, found under Sheldon Keefe. And I guess we even look at Michael Hutchinson, who started to play a little bit better as well. And uh, maybe it's because he's not put into these terrible situations on the second half of a back-to-back anymore. But uh, everything that Sheldon Keefe has touched has turned into absolute gold so far. And it's hard not to give him a pretty darn good grade as well since taking over 15-5 and 2 as head coach of the, uh, the Maple Leafs. And, of course, we all talked about at the time uh why wasn't this move made earlier why wasn't it made at the end of last season at the beginning of this year give him a full training camp and who knows where this maple leafs team is if uh, sheldon keith had started as the uh, head coach but i'm really excited to see you know where this team can take it to the rest of the way because you know as he has mentioned and a lot of these other players have mentioned as well that look uh, we are still not a fully finished product. Like there's still a lot of things that we can get better at and improve on. So uh, I'm excited to watch the, uh, you know, the sort of how that comes together the rest of the season for this Maple Leafs team. When we step, uh, when we come back, as we uh, step aside, we will talk about the current state of the team as there are some injured players that are on their way back in Andreas Janssen and Trevor Moore. What does that do for this Maple Leafs lineup? And we already know they talked to Justin Williams as well. What does that mean? Maybe uh, the Maple Leafs are looking for some additions as we get closer to the trade deadline. We'll talk about that next on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. It's Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and Colin Teske here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Missed an episode of Good Show? Listen to every episode and subscribe with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Colin Teske and Mark Boffo. Shout out Dave Coulier, who uh, I guess allegedly the song is about. You ought to know. Uh, now, the interesting thing is, I mentioned before, this was the first ever album that I purchased when I was like, when I was a kid. How old was I? I was probably like 10 or 11. So first, some ma- first album. There's some too. mature subject matter in this song specifically that I don't know why I was allowed to listen to it, uh, but I did and uh, learned about many things. Thanks, Alanis Morissette. Uh, shout out to her. And uh, what an album that was. Yeah, first ever album. Be- being from Ottawa, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing really? Alanis Morissette. Like, she's, you know, one of Ottawa's most famous people, but tons of people listen to her. But the subject matter, too. I'm surprised you got away with getting yeah. that per CD. Yeah, I guess my parents <laughs> weren't really concerned with that. They didn't really know much about Alanis Morissette. It was just like, hey, I, I want to purchase this. Uh, like, I'm sure if I was like, hey, I want to purchase uh, NWA, they would have been like, ooh, like, that's... A little bit different here, but uh, Alanis Morissette, good old Canadian girl. They were uh, fine with me picking up that cassette 
back in the day. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Colin Teske, Mark Boffa with you. Continuing the conversation about the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, who are not in action tonight. So if you had uh, planned your Saturday evening around Maple Leafs hockey, you got to find something else to do because they are off and we'll play the Florida Panthers tomorrow. Andreas Janssen did travel with the team, but he is unlikely to uh, play tomorrow night as he works his way back from a uh, lower body injury. And of course, uh, with Janssen, uh, he is a guy that has been slotted into the top six for many points at this season. Um, the Maple Leafs clearly have some decisions when it comes to their lineup. When he returns, we know Trevor Moore is uh, on his way back as well as he has been skating. And it's going to be uh, really interesting to see what Sheldon Keefe does here because he's got two guys in Janssen and more that he's very familiar with, of course, during his time with the Toronto Marlies. Andreas Janssen was a Calder uh, Cup playoff MVP just a few seasons ago. And Pierre Engvall has done really, really well. You've got Alex Kerfoot playing really, really well alongside um, uh, John Tavares and William Nylander. Zach Hyman is clearly glued to that line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. So when you have two guys in Andreas Johnson and Trevor Moore coming back, Mark, both left shots, wingers, it's going to be interesting to see what Sheldon Keefe does here. Uh, I know Jason Spezza is a guy that I mentioned before that I've been very impressed with. Uh, I would think he drops to the fourth line. Uh, but is it as simple as Andreas Janssen slots into the uh, third line with Pierre Engvall and Kasperi Kapanen? Does he go back to the second line with John Tavares and William Nylander? I think that's interesting. Trevor Moore, I think, most likely slots into the fourth line and takes over for a guy like, you know, Dimitro Timoshov. Uh, but Andreas Janssen is really the interesting piece here because I wonder how Sheldon Keefe is going to utilize him first coming back because he's got two lines right now. And you can make the argument three with what we've seen from Engvall, Spezza, and Kapanen. He's got three lines really going right now, and do you want to mess with that chemistry? It's it's a great problem to have. I mean, I I, I feel like you just have to try out some some different combinations, which Keith hasn't been afraid to do, even if it's not for an entire game, at least just to try to try different guys on different lines to get a spark. I'm with you on Trevor Moore. I think he slots in perfectly on the fourth line. Maybe, you know, I think... I think basically Engvall has to stay in the lineup. He's been he's been great. And I feel like it might just go I feel like you might just have to go back to the earlier part of the season and try Janssen in the top six where he was before. That being said though, I don't think that they're married to that. I think I think that I just think that there's a lot of good forwards on this team right now. I mean, like you mentioned, you've Kerfoot who is slotted nicely on the wing, but he's also a guy that can go play down the middle. So I think it's really important that they just try to get a good combination going heading into the playoffs. And if that means, you know, sitting some guys out and trying different combinations until that time and just trying to get that perfect balance and blend, I don't, I don't mind that at all. I don't think there's the, I don't think there's a right answer right off, right off the bat. I think everybody that's with Mikheyev out and just guys in more out and guys in the bottom six, just trying to get in, just trying to get into the lineup and, and play well. I think, I think that they've done that and they've actually made the made the decision a lot tougher on the coaching staff which I'm sure if you're the coaching staff it's you got to make a decision but it's a, it's a great decision to have to make. Yeah, it really is impressive calling the depth that this Maple Leafs team has right now, especially on the wing with uh, Andreas Janssen and Trevor Moore on their way back. I think a lot of teams would uh, kill to have that type of uh, problem with those two guys set to return. 
But does that mean potentially Andreas Janssen could be a trade candidate as well with the way that Kerfoot and the way that Pierre Engvall have played? Now, of course, as soon as you have depth and you move some depth out, that's when you're clamoring for more depth. Like guys get injured, as we've seen, and it's nice to have guys that uh, that can fill in. Um, so maybe that's not the first move that you make, but considering the cap crunch that the Maple Leafs are in, considering that they probably like to get an upgrade on defense, uh, does an Andreas Janssen potentially make sense uh, as a, a trade candidate, or do you think you're just holding on to him for now in order to to see what you have with a, a healthy lineup with him involved? Look, don't get me wrong. I, I like Andreas Janssen. The fact that he was a late-round pick and, and has turned into the player he is now that you can potentially use in your top six is, is a really big boost for the Maple Leaf scouting. But this is a guy that I would explore trading. I absolutely would. When I look at this team... And I look at how they've played without Andreas Janssen. I, I think you can live with moving a guy like him and addressing another need somewhere else in the roster. And whether that's a backup goaltender, whether that is maybe adding more depth on defense, that's where I would look. And there's other players that I look on this Maple Leafs roster that have a better ceiling than Andreas Janssen. Like I, I know Kasperi Kapanen has not had the best season. I still like Kasperi Kapanen as a game breaker more than I do Janssen, so I kind of feel like he is the odd man out here. Yeah, they, they have a lot more depth on the left wing for sure than they do on the uh, right wing at this point. But yeah, Andreas Janssen, I, I just wonder, like, what could you potentially get for a guy like him? Uh, you mentioned the backup goalie situation, and that hasn't exactly been uh, talked about a whole lot lately because Michael Hutchinson has uh, turned things around. But you would think the Maple Leafs are still at least keeping their options open there. But it is the you know back end where you would think the Maple Leafs are looking for some potential help. You know, Cody Cece has kind of fallen back to where he was at the beginning of the season, uh, pretty much slotted into that uh, third uh, uh, pairing is where we see it all you know optimally I know he was playing with Morgan Riley to begin the season but optimally he's probably your uh, number six or seven defenseman at this point uh, Travis Dermott getting a shot here we know Jake Muzzin is hurting and working his way back so maybe that's an area where the Maple Leafs are looking at for uh, potentially a trade but it is interesting the news that we heard this week guys that the Maple Leafs had inquired on Justin Williams the uh, veteran player who uh, is set to go back to the Carolina Hurricanes and rejoin them for one final season and I, I guess it would depend on when the Maple Leafs spoke to him. I don't think we have gotten any confirmation on when they uh, inquired. If they had inquired in like November, October, that's a different story as opposed to like the last week or two. Because if that's the case, then you kind of, you know, shake your head and you're like, well, what's going on there? Why are the Maple Leafs looking for a right winger um, at this stage of the season when they have a, a lot of depth on the wing? But what does that say to you, Mark, that the Maple Leafs are looking for a guy like Justin Williams? Like I said, it depends on the timing, but just in general, um, you know, they, they were interested and potentially bringing him on, what does that say to you? Oh, I, I think it says to me that it's it's been well documented. This team hasn't done well in Game Sevens in the playoffs in in recent memory. And I, I know Justin Williams has scored some big goals, and I'm not in the playoffs in Game Sevens. And I'm not saying if you signed him that that was going to happen again necessarily, but it just tells you that you need that. I guess Kyle Dubas is looking for some some veteran presence that can chip in on, on, you know, the bottom six or, or whatever it is, just some, a calming influence, somebody that's been there before. And you're at that point, you're bringing him in for money only. You're not, you're not, you know, training an asset to get him. So Colin, you brought up that Andreas Janssen could be somebody on the trade block. I mean, I think it makes, it makes it that much easier to move a guy like him if you have a Justin Williams coming in and then whatever you're getting back in return for a trade. So I think it's just a proactive, 
you know, kicking the tires. I mean, I don't think you're, uh, I don't think Kyle Dubas or any, any NHL GM is doing their job. If they're not at least checking in on a guy like that, just to at least see where his head's at, what it would take to sign him. Uh, just with, you know, the caveat being we're, we want to go on a deep playoff run and we see you as, as part of the, as part of the solution there. So I think it's, I think it would have been a, a solid move. Actually. I, I like Justin Williams a lot and especially for what it would have cost to bring him back. I think obviously he's back in Carolina now and that's always been a great fit for him. So you can't really blame him for going back home, so to speak. But um, to me, it just tells me that they're looking to improve this roster in any way possible. And if that means, if that means bringing in somebody from outside the organization to push someone who's in the organization out in a trade, I think, I think that's a, a good approach and I'll, I'll double down with what Colin said. Uh, with Andreas Janssen, I would be very shocked to see both Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen on this team at the start of next season. I think one of them's probably gone at the deadline or in the summer. Yeah, I think that's uh, the most likely scenario. I just look at those two guys and I say, you know, manageable cap hits that teams can take on still relatively young. You know, Kapanen's only 23. Uh, Andreas Janssen is a guy that's 25. And you've got players that have, you know, definitely shown something over the last few weeks. Pierre Engvall making 925. He's an RFA at the end of the season. A guy like Adam Brooks can slot in as well. You've got uh, Dimitro Timoshev. Maybe he can still be something at the age of 23. Ilya Mikheyev, who we mentioned before, is hurt but uh, looks to be a player um, when healthy. So some really interesting decisions here for GM Kyle Dubas over the next little while heading into the uh, trade deadline. I, I have to imagine the Maple Leafs are going to be active. I would be surprised if they didn't make some sort of addition, uh, especially on the back end, even it's a, if it's a deaf player, just to add some uh, insurance there. But uh, we will see as we get closer to the trade deadline. When we return here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove, we'll take a look around the rest of the NHL. We'll uh, chat about the Montreal Canadiens who are stuck in yet another eight-game losing streak. It has been a rough go for the Habs after uh, last year, which was definitely a fun season, albeit uh, one where they did not make the playoffs. There was a lot of hope this year, and that hope is really fading right now with this uh, Canadiens franchise. We'll get into that and more here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Colin Teske, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Mark Boffa with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Still to come, we'll talk about the National Football League playoffs. The divisional round gets going today with two games and then two games tomorrow. Up first will be the Minnesota Vikings taking on the San Francisco 49ers at 435 this afternoon, followed by the Titans and Ravens at 815. And then tomorrow, it's the Chiefs and Texans at 305 and the Seahawks and Packers from Lambeau Field at 640. We'll also get into the Toronto Raptors, who are back at it tomorrow. DeMar DeRozan 
making uh, yet another return to Scotiabank Arena as the Spurs will face off against the Raptors. But right now, we continue to take a look around the National Hockey League. And with the uh, Canadian teams, the Toronto Maple Leafs leading the way right now when it comes to the standings, guys. And one team that we thought might be in the mix for a playoff spot this year, at the very least a, a wild card position, would be the Montreal Canadiens, who had uh, such a strong year last year that really came out of nowhere and uh, definitely exceeded expectations. And people thought, hey, the Habs got a nice little uh, young core here. They've still got Carey Price, who was coming off a decent season last year. Why can't they be a wild card team? And uh, unfortunately for them, they are stuck in yet another eight-game losing streak. They have uh, lost eight in a row, one eight and one in their last ten. Brendan Gallagher made his return to the lineup the other day, but now is dealing with some headaches, and the team's trying to figure out if it's just related to illness or is it a uh, you know reoccurring situation with the uh, concussion that he recently suffered and the Habs on the outside looking in uh, way uh, outside looking in at a playoff spot right now and unlikely for them to uh, make a run here you would think to, to get back into a playoff spot there's just too many teams in front of them at this point and it's got to be disappointing for uh, Canadians fans to uh, be suffering through another year without playoffs uh, they are a team that you know should be competing for playoff spots on a yearly basis. There's just too much talent on that team. Um, when you look at uh, their top six and some of the depth that they've added, Shea Weber's been great. Terry Price isn't the same guy um, he was before, but still can be a solid contributor. Uh, what have you made, Colin, of the Montreal Canadiens' I guess, second collapse this year. I mean, the, the first time they were getting a little bit unlucky. They were playing pretty well. Um, but this time, they, they just have not looked very good defensively, and the goaltending has been uh, a bit of a train wreck, too. Well, and that's just it. This is a team that that needs to get stellar goaltending from Carey Price. And Carey Price has not been himself so far this season. But dare I say it, this might be a good thing for that franchise. They, they have never embraced being in the bottom five or tanking. They've got a lot of pride around that organization. They want to compete every single year. They've just had too many injuries. They don't have enough depth. If they can finish near the bottom five and get into that conversation of Alexis Lafreniere and getting into that number one overall pick conversation, I think that's the best possible thing for this organization. They don't have a whole lot of top-end talent, and you've got an aging roster. I wouldn't even change the coach as well. I would not fire Claude Julien under these circumstances, but maybe bottoming out the last half of the season – and just admitting this is not our year, we're not going to have a magical run like we did last year and slip into the playoffs. And if you just embrace that this is a forgotten year and try to get assets and try to get picks and get younger, I think that's the best possible move for this team. I'm I'm right there in lockstep with Colin. I mean, if you're going to be paying Carey Price what you're paying Carey Price, you're... you're like the return on investment better be that he's like a top five goalie in the NHL. And he just hasn't been. And when your best players aren't playing like your best players and Hey, it's a, it's a bit of a flawed roster. I'm not going to put it all, all on carry price, but it's, it hasn't been a good season. And I, I wasn't, I had, I gave Bergevin credit at the beginning of the year. I mean, I laughed at him for the Galchenyuk Max Domi deal. And I think Max Domi has shown that he's, he can be a pretty good player. And, he, it looks like Montreal won that trade with Galchenyuk bouncing around, but I never really, I never really, you know, pictured them in a playoff spot. I mean, you look at a team that's in the second wild card right now, the Flyers, and you know, goaltending is like goaltending aside, you might say Carey Price is better than Carter Hart, but Carter Hart has been better than Carey Price this season, and they've got the 
the town, at least on the top two lines of guys like Giroux and Voracek, which the Habs just don't. I mean, they're signing Ilya Kovalchuk to get some offense on the team right now. So uh, I just feel like I just like Colin said, like it's it's a tough pill to swallow for a, for a proud original six team. But hey, we saw what happened in Toronto. You need to like you can't trade for these blue chip prospects that teams want to lock up and have under contract for the foreseeable future. You need to draft and develop these guys. And if you can get, if you can get a top three pick and, and hit on that, I think that that goes a long way. And I'm also in agreement. I wouldn't fire Claude Julien. I mean, he is a Stanley cup winning coach. He comes with a pedigree. I think he's just, you know, I think he's just searching for answers like everybody else. I think this team really just needs to, you know, for lack of a better term, tank the rest of the way and maybe see if you can get, some some picks back for some of your for some of your assets and you need to rebuild or retool in the summer and and start injecting some youth some top end youth in, into this team yeah, and the Habs are definitely a weird team when you look under the hood they are a team that you know is a strong possession team they they generate a decent amount of shots on goal they're not bad defensively by any means when it comes to, to five on five but um, the point that you made Colin I think is really interesting they just don't have like the top end guys we, we just talked about Austin Matthews and John Tavares and Mitch Marner and William Nylander those types of guys like if the Habs had those types of players, obviously they, they would be in great standing um, like the Maple Leafs are, um, but that's what they're sort of missing. Like I love Brendan Gallagher as a player, but is he a bona fide, you know, number one right winger on like a, a really good playoff team, a championship team? Probably not. Same with a guy like Thomas Tatar, you know, Max Domi slots in perfectly as a, as a number two center. They are missing that, uh, you know, number one guy. And, and maybe Max Pacioretty was that guy. They, they let him go, of course. But, um, you know, Philip Deneau, nice, solid player two-way player but you know he's not a, an 80 point plus guy by any means you know Nick Suzuki is he going to be something down the line potentially but it's still early Jonathan Drouin's been hurt for most of this season so that's been a, a big blow of course so um, they do have some pieces with the Montreal Canadiens like I, I like where they're trending they just need more you know big guns I think that's what it comes down to and once they you know can get those types of players that'll that'll go a long way and I think they have to make a decision on, on Carey Price because it's very obvious that he's not the same guy that he used to be. He's got that massive, massive cap hit, as we all know. And if they could find some way to, to move off of that, you know, free up a little bit, if they kind of eat some of that salary, I think they might have to do it. As, as difficult of a decision as that would be, because we know how beloved a player, Carey Price, is in Montreal. But it's tough to carry a goaltender making $10 million a season when he's not giving you anywhere close to that type of production. And if they can figure that out, maybe that's that opens the door for them to add more pieces to a team that I, I don't think is that far away. I, I really don't from being, you know, a solid playoff team. It's just that they have some things right now that are that are really hindering that progress. Yeah, and I, I look at Montreal and with Carey Price even playing marginally better than he is right now, they're likely going to be like hovering around a playoff spot in ninth or 10th, just the way that their roster breaks down. And, and as an organization, you have to make that tough call where you have to say, do we part ways with Carey Price, who's beloved in that market, who you know can be a top-end goaltender, and just embrace that you're going in a different direction? Or... Are they going to keep trying to add a piece or two just to get into the playoffs and maybe pull off an upset and trend where they have the last couple of years? Like, that's the tough call. And I look at this roster, even when they get a little bit of injuries, they don't have the depth to overcome those. And, and you got to make that hard call as an organization. 
the, the he's a total pro. I mean, you look at the the scrum yesterday in front of his stall, and he's he's answering the same question essentially over and over. You can just see it just weighing on him, and you know he's he's answering to the media and trying to do you know everything he he possibly can, and he realizes that he's the face of the franchise there, but like it, it it's the frustration is just is just point blank all over his face. Like, it's just, you can't, you can't help but think like he's got to be thinking about his future and contemplating, like, even if my game turns around, like, is this the, is this team built, you know, is is it built in a way that it can go on a deep run? And I just don't know. I, I feel like you're right, Colin. Like if you're in that murky middle where you're just missing the playoffs and you're in ninth or 10th, like that's the worst place to be as a franchise. You're not making the playoffs and you're drafting like between like eight and 12, you're not getting that top five pick. So I think you, it just really comes down to, you know, a change in the organization. You have to just say like, we can't miss the, we can't make the playoffs this year. Even if we do make the playoffs, our roster is clearly flawed. Like you said, Rob, like, Max Domi slots in great as like a second line center, but is he is he a, a top line guy? I don't know, and I, I just feel like there's pieces there. Like they've got their they've got their like second and third lines like all figured out. I want to say with all those guys that they have, but yeah, they're just missing just that one like alpha dog that they really need. Yeah, they uh, definitely are. And uh, one team that does have that alpha dog and he continues to carry them without the other alpha dog there is uh, Evgeny Malkin and the Penguins. And if we're talking about you know. Big time stories this year and just uh, unlikely ones. It has to be the Pittsburgh Penguins who have suffered so many injuries and yet they keep finding ways to win. We know City Crosby's been out with that uh, hernia surgery. Jake Gensel done for the season now with his shoulder injury. But if Kenny Malkin has been the one constant there, he always plays well when Sidney Crosby is injured. Historically, that's been the case. And uh, this Penguins team, 27-12-5. They are 7-2-1 in their last 10. They get that win last night in Colorado in overtime. If Mike Sullivan is not the uh, front runner right now for Jack Adams, I don't know who else is. But um, the Penguins, like they just keep finding ways uh, to win. Maybe it's that championship pedigree. But when we're looking at best teams right now in the uh, National Hockey League, uh, Pittsburgh clearly is up there. Washington, when it comes to points, up there. Boston at 63 points. St. Louis leading the Central Division with 63. Uh, the Pacific Division is a bit of a mess right now with the, the Golden Knights, Coyotes, and Oilers. Um, but guys, uh, the one team that has really turned things around and I think it's back in there. I know they're not uh, near the top of the standings when it comes to points, but I don't know how you can't have watched Tampa Bay Lightning games of late and not say that this team is the best team right now in the National Hockey League. They are just an absolute juggernaut. They've won nine in a row, and after their early season swoon, this team is back to being, I think, the best team in the NHL. I'm with you there. I mean, I I personally wasn't worried that they were underachieving. I just thought that there was way too much talent on the team, and everything would kind of, you know, go back to the mean, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, I, I, w- I was of the opinion that I, I thought that maybe there wouldn't be a – not that I was worried about Tampa Tampa Bay, like I said, but I thought there could be a chance that the Leafs could be ahead of them in the standings. Maybe you're, avo- maybe you're getting uh, a first round uh, at home instead of starting on the road if you're the Maple Leafs. But I, I think you're looking at a potential – Boston Toronto first round matchup again it, it, it just I don't know I feel like I feel like Tampa will overtake the Bruins uh eventually too they're just a juggernaut like you said Rob 
And perfect scenario for Tampa Bay after last season when they flamed out in the first round against Columbus. They had that great regular season. People are talking about them now, but they've kind of flown under the radar. And and I wouldn't be surprised if they are going right at Boston at the end of the year where they are right up there jockeying for first place the way they're playing right now. And the Maple Leafs are 15-5-2, yet they still trail Tampa Bay yeah, by two points. It's pretty wild. They have so many games in hand through the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, and they're just playing just absolutely incredible hockey right now. So they are back to where they were when uh, we all thought at the beginning of the seasons. Once again, Maple Leafs not in action tonight. They are back at it tomorrow when they face off against the Florida Panthers. When we come back, final hour of the Sportsnet Hot Stove. We'll kick things off with uh, NFL playoff talk. It is the divisional round. We've got two games on tap today, Vikings and 49ers, followed by Titans and Ravens. And then tomorrow, it is the Houston Texans on the road against Kansas City, facing off against the Chiefs and the Seahawks visiting the Panthers. We'll dive into that next here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Colin Teske, and Mark Boffo. It's the Sportsnet Radio Network. Send us all your money. Sign up for our free podcast at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher, and we'll send you a free subscription for Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. Absolutely free. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking. Are you and your homies my Final hour of song. the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and Colin Teske with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Probably a big Amish Paradise fan than I am uh, Gangsta's Paradise. What about you, Colin? I, I was going to say, I found out this song from Amish really? Paradise, from what Weird Al Yankovic yeah. parody. That's how I knew this song. That's a good point, because, you know, Weird Al th- th- has done a lot of parodies, of course, but, like, that's where I learned about a lot of songs, too, that I didn't know about before. Not this one, Gangsta's Paradise, the OG, Julio, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer randomly just staring at him in that music video. Very awkward, very awkward moment, but uh, definitely a great karaoke song. For sure, for sure. And uh, now that I think back to it, I think I also got this uh, Weird Al Yankovic <laughs> CD from Loblaw's Bad Hair Day shout out. Oh, wow. That is a big shout out. Bad Hair Day classic. Uh, Weird Al. Still doing like concerts. I think he performed in Toronto like a couple summers ago. Like people show up. Like I've never pictured like anybody going to a Weird Al concert, but he still has a career and people still dig it, I guess. Yeah, I think he was at like Budweiser stage and he's like selling out legit venues. So good for Weird Al. Keep on trucking after all these years. Yeah. Playing all the hits still, I guess, uh, these days, Weird Al. Uh, So anyways, the uh, NFL playoffs continuing today with the divisional round. Two games today, Vikings and 49ers, Titans and Ravens, and tomorrow it's the Texans and Chiefs and Seahawks and Packers. We might as well begin chronologically and go through these games, starting with the 49ers and Vikings from Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California, 435 kickoff today. And the Vikings, of course, uh, no one expected them to be here. Shocking the Saints last week, maybe getting a little help with that uh, non-call on Kyle Rudolph that ended that game. But you got to give them props. They played well. They were able to keep Michael Thomas in check, keep Drew Brees in check at home at the Superdome, which is uh, generally where he uh, does a lot of his damage. But Kirk Cousins made a lot of great throws in that game as well. And uh, obviously is a guy that is much maligned, but uh, I think I did see a stat uh, that, you know, he's a guy that uh, in at least this decade, 
is uh, tied among uh, leaders in playoff wins, which is a joke, of course, because we're only in 2020. Uh, but Kirk Cousins definitely showed me something last week. Do I think he can do it two weeks in a row, uh, especially now in San Francisco against the 49ers, a defense that has been really good this year? I'm not so sure. But on the flip side, I also have question marks about Jimmy Garoppolo and whether or not he can get it done as well. So uh, generally, as is the case, uh, most weeks it is going to be a battle of the quarterbacks and whichever one plays better is uh, going to lead his team to victory. I still lean more to the 49ers because I think Jimmy G, you know, has the talent to, to get it done and it is a home game. Um, so I like the 49ers in this one. But where are you leaning, Mark? I like San Francisco too. And, you know, I, I completely understand um, a lot of people playing into the momentum factor here with the Vikings. They beat a top a top team in the Saints, who I think you know we were all expecting would would win that game, especially in the dome at home in a tough place to play. And so, yeah, like I do buy into that the Vikings have momentum, but I think you look at the guy that was making all the big plays in that game down the stretch, and that was Adam Thielen. And if Adam Thielen isn't 100% going into this game, which it doesn't seem like he will be, uh, he's expected to play, but that was all, that's that was also in doubt this week. Uh, he injured himself in practice, and it looks like he has stitches in his ankle or something like that. So, I mean, I'm I'm not to oversimplify it, but I'm looking at an injury for one of their game breakers and I'm looking at a vaunted 49ers defense and a team that has to travel uh, to, to play in that game. And I think that, I think that I maybe side with the, I side with the Niners. I could see the Vikings gain off to, you know, maybe gain off to a slightly better start that they're a little sharper, whereas the rust could come in for San Francisco. But I think as the game goes on and, uh, and, it, as it progresses, I think you'll see that rust, you know, fall off. And then they're just back at home. And I feel like they're the better team than the Vikings. So I think you're right, though, Rob. Like, Garoppolo hasn't, you know, started a playoff game. He's obviously been to the playoffs with New England, but he's the only quarterback remaining that hasn't played in the playoffs. So it'll be, that'll be a huge test. But I think with, uh, you know, a good safety net there with Kittle and, you know, he showed, chemistry right away with Emmanuel Sanders after he came over from Denver. I really don't think that like if Kirk Cousins can win in the dome, I can see Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, being adequate at home. So I, I feel like it's the 49ers game to lose. So I'm going to contradict myself when I, when I make this point, but just hear me out on this. Uh, Kirk Cousins gets a lot of flack. Okay. Adam Thielen called him out earlier this season, but when you actually compare Kirk Cousins to Jimmy Garoppolo, when you look at the stats, same completion percentage, same amount of touchdowns. Cousins has a better passer rating. He's not as bad as people think. I will say this is going to be a really close game. I'm still going to lean San Francisco to win. I just don't think emotionally, if you're Minnesota, you can go in another week and have another week like they had last week against the Saints. I think that's where you're traveling west. You're going into a rested team. Kyle Shanahan off a bye, I will take in almost every scenario. So that's where I'll lean San Francisco. But I think this game's within a field goal. Yeah, it's going to be close. Uh, I think uh, pretty much all of these games outside of one uh, for me are going to be close. So uh, I do like this one to be a hotly contested battle between the Vikings and 49ers. But uh, I still lean the 49ers like I think the rest of you guys do in this matchup. Tonight, it's the Titans and Ravens at 815 from Baltimore. And the Titans, of course, 
ending the season of the New England Patriots last week. Derrick Henry just running wild. Ryan Tannehill throwing for like 70 yards in that game. Did not have to do much. An easy day at the office for Ryan Tannehill just handing the ball off to Derrick Henry and letting him do the rest. And that defense played really well. This is a different story, though. Heading out to Baltimore to face the Ravens and the uh, MVP uh, candidate in Lamar Jackson, who's had an incredible season coming off uh, a few weeks rest, in fact, and not playing week 17 either. Um, so this home matchup for the Baltimore Ravens sets up well, but I have seen some sharp people out there, some sharp betters saying that the Tennessee Titans, you should look at them today as a, a big time underdog and put some coins down on the Titans. Boffo, are you willing to go that far? Because I'm not sure I am. I think it's going to be a closer game than the uh, 10 point spread but I'm just not willing to bet against Lamar Jackson. I know some of his receivers, you know, Mark Andrews is banged up right now, but this Ravens defense is really good against the run, really strong against the pass as well. Lamar Jackson, um, you know, what else can you really say about this guy? He's just an absolute cheat code. So I'm still leading the Ravens, even though, even though I think this game is going to be closer maybe than that 10 point spread. Yeah. If I'm, if I was a betting man, I would say that you, I would, probably take the titans and and the points here just i think it'll be a close game like you'd said but uh i i pretty much see the you know like if a team shows you what they are believe them and the ravens have been dominant all season long i know it's the playoffs i know it's i know it's a different animal here but you know even if mark ingram isn't a hundred percent i still like that power running game that the Ravens have. I think Gus Edwards is adequate. He's filled in nicely for when uh, Ingram has, you know, been rested or, you know, they just want to give Edwards some run. Justice Hill has been great there too as, as the third option. And then, yeah, like, I don't know if you know this, but Lamar Jackson can also run the ball a little bit. So I feel like it's, uh, I feel like the Ravens are in a really good spot here. The thing that, the thing that concerns me about the Titans is like, they just seem like a team that's buying into whatever it takes to win. You mentioned Tannehill only throwing the 70 yards because it's like Derrick Henry is the man that's, you know, getting us this win right now. So people are willing to sacrifice and willing to do everything you can to buy in to get the win, which is always scary in the playoffs, especially when all the pressure is on these these number one seeds, you know, if if the Titans bowed out tonight, it would be like, hey, they had a good run. If the Vikings lost, hey, they beat Drew Brees in the dome, you know. So the the I really think that it's gonna come down to that pressure. And if the if the Ravens just don't get inside their own heads, I think that defensively on and offensively they're they're the superior football team. And I mean, I know Mike Vrabel took down Bill Belichick, but I feel like John Harbaugh is just a money coach in the playoffs. He's he's won he's won Super Bowls. He's he's been there forever, and you know, there's I don't think there's really anything that phases this guy. Dare I say it, guys? I I really like Tennessee to keep this close, and, and I know that Baltimore can run the ball better than any team with Lamar Jackson and all their running backs, but I, I like the way that Tennessee is set up here. Ryan Tannehill does not have to be a world beater. You've got Derrick Henry, and that defense might be one of the most violent defenses we have seen in an awfully long time. They actually remind me of the 2000 Ravens in some ways. So I, I think Tennessee has a chance here to keep this close. The longer it goes where they are within a field goal or a touchdown, I, I think Tennessee can do this. 
I'm not going to pick them, but I'm taking the points. Yeah, I think you you can look at a situation where you take the points in this one. Maybe we see a backdoor cover as well with the Titans uh, chasing uh, down late in this game. But uh, Lamar Jackson, I feel like I've just seen too much this year of him just being able to figure things out. Like, he's not the same guy that he was last year. People pointing at last year's playoff game. Um, but you look at this season, and he has just taken his game to another level. The experience factor for him has uh, definitely helped in that. And uh, today at home with a couple of weeks rest, he's going to be fresh. And uh, I think he's going to go out there and have a really, really good game against this uh, Tennessee Titans club. Uh, but it should be a lot of fun tonight in Baltimore. Tomorrow, Texans and Chiefs as uh, Houston moves on with uh, an improbable comeback win against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I hate to remind everybody, of course, uh, Buffalo Bills fans and uh, Bills Mafia. Uh, what a disappointing loss that was. But the Texans squeak out the victory at home and uh, they get a date with the Chiefs in Kansas City and uh, Patrick Mahomes. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people are sleeping on the Chiefs. Like, I think we forget just how good this team is. They were a one away last year from making it to the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes is just an unbelievable talent. Uh, he's looked really good since coming back from that dislocated knee. And I mentioned before that I think three of these games are going to be close and one's going to be a blowout. I'm picking this one game to be a blowout. I think the Chiefs are just going to run wild on the Texans. I think Mahomes is going to show out um, that defense uh, by the Chiefs at home is, is pretty sneaky bet as well. Uh, I like Sean Watson, but they just don't protect him well enough. Um, last week, you know, I think they got pretty lucky there against the Bills uh, in some of those spots. We saw that late play by Sean Watson where he was able to escape the pressure and, and make a great play uh, down the field. So um, while he is a fantastic quarterback, probably a top five guy for me in the NFL, I just think the Chiefs have too many weapons and they'll be able to slow down the Texans. And uh, I think they come away with a, a very easy victory tomorrow afternoon. What about you, Mark? You know what? I I agree with you, but I think it'll be a lot uh, that the Chiefs will win, but I think it'll be a lot closer. I, I feel like Will Fuller coming back uh, just adds another dimension to the, the Texans' offense. And he, with if he can be there and stretch the field along with Kenny Stills, and we all know how good DeAndre Hopkins is. I, I And I also just think Deshaun Watson is just one of those quarterbacks that he just rises up in a big game. You saw him avoid that double sack against uh, the Bills and make that play, which eventually led to the win. And you know, I think that, I think that you know, in the back of his mind, he's probably sick and tired of hearing that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in that draft class and how he how he was the MVP uh, last season. And I, I feel like it's just going to be a really high scoring game with two quarterbacks balling out. And I give the edge to Mahomes just because, and and the Chiefs just because. I really think that they see the Patriots eliminated, knowing that you know they they could have you know Pat Mahomes didn't touch the ball in overtime last season when they faced each other, and I feel like the Chiefs really want to get a Super Bowl for Andy Reid. So I I like the Chiefs in this matchup too, but I really I really think it's going to be an air show with uh, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, and I could see it being closer than uh, most expect. I think Kansas City is going to roll in this game. I look at last week, the way the Texans pulled out a win against the Bills, but you can argue the Bills also just shot themselves in the foot on, on so many occasions in that game. Deshaun Watson can do some incredible things. This is a player that honestly reminds me of a of a flag football player. He, he's just so elusive and can do some crazy things, but no one is talking about Patrick Mahomes. And I think we forget how great of a season he had last year. I love Andy Reid off a bye. And at some point, I think Andy Reid is going to figure this out and he's going to win a Super Bowl. And, and I have Kansas City going really far this year. And I think they roll against Houston tomorrow. Yeah, I uh, mentioned that I uh, think that's going to be the case as well. So 
It's going to be a lot of fun. I think there's going to be a lot of points put up in this one, but uh, the Chiefs are going to put up the majority of them in this matchup against the Houston Texans. Finally, we wrap things up with the Seahawks and Packers in Green Bay, and I've been going back and forth all week on this one. I really don't know which way to lean. Green Bay is the four-and-a-half-point favorite at home, but I think they've been a paper tiger for most of the season. The Seahawks run game obviously is a mess right now, having to bring Marshawn Lynch back and you've got Travis Homer and those guys were not able to do uh, much uh, in their previous game, of course. So Russell Wilson, it's hard not to, you know, look at him and and, uh, pick him because he's been sensational this season. Aaron Rodgers isn't a bad quarterback by any means, but I feel like the Seahawks are are a sneaky pick here, and and I just don't believe in the Packers enough, even though they're at home. So I'll lean with Russell Wilson. I'll lean on a a singular talent. I like what I've seen from DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett obviously can be a big-time downfield threat. So I think it's going to be an ugly game, but I think the Seahawks find a way to, to get this thing done. What about you, Mark? We're finally in disagreement. Oh. I like the Packers in this game, and I know I, I've gone with all the home teams so far, uh, but I, you know what? To oversimplify it, I just always remember, I remember exactly where I was watching that game, uh, the NFC Championship, when it was uh, Packers versus Seahawks at CenturyLink Field, and the Packers squandered that game away. Huge comeback by Russell Wilson, uh and the Seahawks to get it to overtime. And I believe it was Jermaine Curse scoring the touchdown to eventually get them into the Super Bowl, uh, where they lost to the Patriots on that non-giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch. But anyway, that's besides the point. And I just feel like uh, I just feel like Aaron Rodgers that just that loss does not sit well with him. Now the Seahawks are coming into Lambeau, his house. It's going to be freezing cold. And you know what? Like you, you called them a bit of a paper tiger, Rob. And I, I agree with that to some extent. But I also think that they weren't like completely right over the course of the season, too. I mean, they were there was the offense was stagnant at the beginning, where and the defense seemed to be playing really well. And Rodgers and Lafleur were kind of still figuring stuff out. Then once the Offense kind of got rolling again. Devontae Adams went down, and they were really kind of concentrating on the running game. Here, I think they've got all hands on deck. They're healthier. Aaron Rodgers, you know, and it's been a while since Aaron Rodgers has had success in the postseason, and I feel like he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. I just like the Packers at home uh, in a bit of a, a revenge game from the uh, last time they faced in the playoffs. I actually think Green Bay is a bit of a paper tiger too, but I'm siding with Green Bay just because I feel like the Seahawks are too banged up. They didn't look great against Philadelphia last week, but Russell Wilson has some magic, and that's the guy that I'm looking for uh, tomorrow in that game. But I'm going to go Green Bay. They're at home. You got a banged up Seahawks team. And Matt LaFleur, to me, is someone who I still don't really like as a head coach, but I'm going to pick Aaron Rodgers and that offense in this game. Yeah, it's going to be uh, really interesting. Like I said, I don't feel great about uh, either team in this one. I just want to lean Russell Wilson because of his uh, dual threat capabilities. And uh, we know when he has to to throw the ball and, and when the ball's in, in his hands, good things tend to happen. So uh, I like him in this matchup. But it should be a, a lot of fun in all four of these games. And uh, as we saw last week, anything can happen. So uh, we made our picks. Uh, but it feels like some of these games could go the other way as well if things play out just a little bit differently. Did want to spend a couple of minutes. We mentioned, of course, the Titans ending the New England Patriots season. And now all the questions in New England surround Tom Brady and uh, what is going to be next for him at the age of uh, 43. 
and people wondering, is he going to come back? Does Bill Belichick want to move on? Uh, 42, I gave him too many years, uh, Tom Brady, but 42 years old, uh, said to be a free agent. Is he, you know, set to move elsewhere? I, I think when you look around the National Football League, what teams would be interested in a 42-year-old quarterback at this stage to, to start? And with the way the game is trending nowadays with, you know, guys that can run the football as well as quarterbacks, like um, not that Tom Brady is uh, a guy that can't play in the league by any means. He's still a serviceable quarterback, I think. But can he still be that guy um, that can, you know, lead you to the promised land? I have question marks about that. I know this year in New England didn't have a ton of, you know, grade A pieces. No Rob Gronkowski. Julian Edelman was banged up. Uh, but this is a guy that has made, uh, you know, no-name receivers look incredible. And, and this year he struggled to do that outside of, of Julian Edelman. So um, Tom Brady, the, the luster is off just a little bit, Mark. He clearly wants to play. Like, that's very obvious. He's going to be playing somewhere next season. I just wonder if that's going to be in New England. Is it in their best interest to potentially move on um, at this point in order to, you know, try to keep things going and, and to find a, a second life here under the uh, Bill Belichick era? I really just don't know what Tom Brady wants. Does Tom Brady want to come back to New England and, you know, the structures there in place. Does he want to go back with, if he's promised, we're going to go out and get you some more weapons. They obviously tried to bring in Antonio Brown while all that controversy was surrounding him after the Raiders. And they eventually, they eventually cut him. Uh, when, when news broke about his, uh, his problems in, in, in the legal world. So, I mean, they were showing you that they didn't have enough weapons. They wanted to bring in a very controversial character based on talent alone. So, um, if he wants to go back to New England with if and they promise him that they'll get some more weapons, I think that's the best case scenario for him. But I, again, if he just wants to get out of if the other side is like he just wants to get out of Bill Belichick's shadow and show that he's not a system quarterback and that he can still sling it. And you know what? Like I know he didn't have a touchdown. He threw a pick in that game against the Titans, but. When they needed a first down, like I feel like he was still kind of zip, zipping them in there. I didn't think there was too much air under the ball. I don't think he's done, but instead of making no-name receivers, I think at this point in his career, he just needs some talent around him. If it's not in New England, the only place, at least you know, today on January 11th, that I see makes sense is the Los Angeles Chargers. And that's only because they're moving to a new stadium the Rams are clearly the number one team in that market, but now they're going to be sharing that stadium. It'll be in a more you know centralized uh, environment in LA in, in Inglewood instead of uh, instead of you know off the highway or wherever the Chargers are playing in their like twenty thousand seat stadium. So just because you're looking for a bit more cachet in that market, I feel like you know who better to bring that if they move on from Philip Rivers than the best quarterback ever to play the game. Well, and two commentators left kind of a nugget at the end of their broadcast last week. Tony Romo said San Diego, but he really meant the Chargers. And Chris Collingsworth said it on the air, too. He he thinks that Brady is going to go to the Chargers. And those guys are former players. I don't think they put that out there unless they have some inkling that something might happen. But I think Brady's going to go wherever he feels the love. And if he doesn't get that in New England, I look at that Instagram post. I think he's waiting for the Patriots and Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft to wrap their arms around him. After a couple of years ago, when they had Jimmy Garoppolo, they were going to use him and move off of Brady. Brady obviously stayed there, went to a Super Bowl, lost to Nick Foles. The next year, he beats the MVP candidate, Patrick Mahomes. 
wins another Super Bowl. So I think he's just waiting for the Patriots to finally say, look, you've done a great job here, Tom. Here's all the money. Here's all the accolades. You're our guy. You can ride off in the sunset with us. If that doesn't happen, he's going to go to the team that gives him that opportunity. And the thing is, too, like you look at the Chargers roster, I think they've got talent on both sides of the ball. I mean, let's just look at offense already. So they've got Eckler and Melvin Gordon at running back, which is very adequate. Two backs similar to, you know, uh, to New England where they use Michelle and James White. Uh, one more running, one more of the pass catcher. You've got Mike Williams and Keenan Allen at wideout. You've got a great tight end in, Tun- in Hunter Henry. And uh, you go on the defensively, Joey Bosa, Derwin James, uh, Melvin Ingram. Like, they've got some pieces here that could... The biggest thing for the Chargers is always health. And if they can stay healthy, they, they've got the talent. And I feel like if they do really want to move on from Phillip Rivers, I think that just makes the most sense. So I'm not sure what this exactly means. Looking at uh, one specific betting website and the, and the futures for uh, Tom Brady and where he will play next season. Surprisingly, the Cleveland Browns have the uh, best odds at plus 550, followed by the Panthers at 600, uh, the the Las Vegas Raiders plus 600, Chargers, as we mentioned before, the Dallas Cowboys at plus 700. But uh, the Cleveland Browns thing, I'm not sure where that comes from, but that's just uh, one website and the odds that they are uh, putting out there right now. But uh, Tom Brady most likely going to play next year. It'll be interesting to see where he lands. Coming up next, we'll uh, talk about the Toronto Raptors, who are off today, back at it tomorrow, home to DeMar DeRozan and the San Antonio Spurs. Looks like they could be getting a little bit healthier over the next little while as well. Norm Powell's getting close, as are uh, Marcus Saul and Pascal Siakam. It comes at a good time when they are set to take on some pretty decent teams over the next little while. We'll get into some hoops talk coming up next here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Colin Teske, Mark Boffo. It's the Sportsnet Radio Network. The world is a vampire Sent to drain Secret destroyers Hold you up to the flames And what do I get For my pain Betrayed Sportsnet Hot Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network, Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Colin Teske here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A quick weather advisory for everyone in the greater Toronto area today. A lot of rain set to fall today. Uh, I think I was reading somewhere on uh, 680news.com that it's going to be like a month's worth of rain today for uh, Toronto and the GTA. So if you're out on the roads, uh, there could be some freezing rain risk at some point today as well so uh, please take care with the uh, amount of rainfall that we're going to get today and there's no worse feeling gentlemen than looking outside watching the rain just absolutely pouring and then remembering that you did not bring an umbrella when you have to go back outside so uh, i think luckily for you mark you drive so uh it's going to be good for you but uh, someone like me that has to walk it's going to be a little wet outside i think shout out to the uh, underground parking here at work <laughs> the uh, the chariot staying nice and dry underneath uh, all those layers of concrete yeah well we do have that thing called the path here in Toronto i wonder if i can find a way to is it connected to the rogers building because i feel like it's connected to everywhere i feel path. like it is i feel like you do have a chance <laughs> if, you, if you go to bluer and young there definitely is the path connected there there's yeah. a secret passageway you got to kind of chisel through but well, there, there is a way you can do it like yeah. prison break i got to find my way to to chisel my way out of this building That's in it. order to to get across 
to uh, my house or my uh, condo without uh, getting too wet. So we'll uh, see how things play out today. So uh, please stay uh, dry if uh, you can avoid the rain outside today in the GTA. So the Raptors also, like the Maple Leafs, not in action today. They're back at it tomorrow against the San Antonio Spurs. DeMar DeRozan making his return to Scotiabank Arena once again. Should uh, get a nice little ovation. Coming off a monster game last night was uh, DeMar DeRozan against the Memphis Grizzlies, but uh, it'll be potentially a different story tomorrow against the Raptors, who are much better defensively than the uh, Grizzlies, but it'll be a fun game tomorrow night down at Scotiabank Arena. This Raptors team, we know the story right now, guys. They are banged up, to uh, say the least, without Norm Powell, without uh, Fred Van Vliet, without Marcus Saul, without Pascal Siakam. But they got out a win the other night against the uh, Charlotte Hornets, 112-110 in overtime. And if not for a fourth-quarter collapse against the Portland Trailblazers, they would have won three in a row right now. And we uh, talked earlier in the NHL segment about Mike Sullivan and the job that he has done as head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins without a lot of his star players as well due to injury. Well, Nick Nurse is the Mike Sullivan of the NBA this year with all the man games lost to have his team still sitting uh, comfortably in a uh, playoff spot right now, battling for home court advantage. The Raptors, the fourth seed as it stands right now, 25 and 13. They're just five and five in their last 10, but to be treading water, even at this point with all the star players that they've lost, truly an incredible coaching job. Nick nurse has done uh, this year uh, uh, when it comes to his uh, work on the court. Of course, he's been taking a lot of technicals to Colin, but Nick Nurse, like, I don't know how we can't look at this guy anymore coming off the championship season, seeing what he's done this year. He's one of the best coaches in the league. And I wonder if people still are lost on that, like just casual observers of the NBA. We still talk about the Greg Popoviches of the world and, you know, Brad Stevens. But what is Brad Stevens won? He hasn't even won like, an NBA championship I, like Nick Nurse. I will say Brad Stevens still gets like so much love and he's a good coach. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think Nick Nurse is just so underrated when you talk about the rest of the coaches in the NBA. I know coming from Toronto, it's going to sound like we're in a bubble here, but I, when you look at what he's done with his core all outs and he's six and five. And, and I think Nick nurse, when you look at him, he relishes that opportunity. I think he really likes to be put in these situations to show what he can do and how he can rise above those things. But Nick nurse right now deserves a lot more credit than he's getting around the NBA. He is the coach of the year in my mind, and I have to go back to this, Rob. I, you mentioned they're five and five in their last ten. They should be six and four. I hate, I hate the whole narrative that the referees are tough on the Raptors and whatnot. But you can't tell me that wasn't a moving screen on on uh, against the Trailblazers on Tuesday with uh, Hassan Whiteside and Lillard hitting that three. Uh, I, so I think that they've. You know, all things considered, it it's just been an insanely good year for the Raptors. I love how they're they're always in every game. They're going to give you their best shot, no matter who's in the lineup. There's clearly some cohesion there between the 905 and and the big uh, the big club with you know just the proximity and just being able to see the players and and whatnot. Like even even Matt Thomas coming back to the lineup the other night, like Nick Nurse was saying, I was able to see him play against play with 905 before we brought him back up and just see how he was doing and it just there just seems to be a real solid structure within the whole organization right now and there's no drop-off they you know it's like the 905 is just kind of like the farm team of of the of the Raptors and you're seeing like O'Shea Brissett and 
you know, Terrence Davis, although, you know, undrafted and not with the 905, but even, and then even just somebody like Fred Van Vliet, who, you know, came up through the 905 and is now just a mainstay on this team. So uh, I can't be more impressed with the job that not just Nick Nurse, the entire coaching staff and the whole front office is done. Um, if you told fans that you'd be, you know, well above 500 and hosting, you know, hosting a playoff game in the first round of the playoffs right now after losing Kawhi Leonard and the whole turnover that happened there, I think you'd be ecstatic. And I'm just, you know, when the Leafs were scuffling earlier in the year, it was like the Raptors were everything the Leafs weren't. No excuses. They played hard every night. Didn't matter who was in the lineup and they just kept on winning. And um, they're, they're showing why they're the champs. Like they just took all that momentum off of the championship and it's, it's been an insanely good first half of the season for them. Yeah. We of course have to give credit uh, not only to Nick nurse, but to the front office as well in Bobby Webster, Messiah Jerry for being able to, you know, bring on a Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who's been a great find, you know, Chris Boucher, of course. So Shaper said, as you mentioned before, Mark, a guy um, that uh, from Mississauga, uh, you know, coming in and having an impact of late Terrence Davis, a guy that was called out the other night, Colin by his head coach and Nick nurse, then thrown into the starting lineup the next game and coming out with 23 points a career high like Nick Nurse is just pulling all the right strings right now and uh, pushing all the right buttons the one constant though uh, before you know Fred Van Vliet went down the other day but even when all the other stars went down against Detroit has been Kyle Lowry and I just looked this up right now and I knew he was playing a lot of minutes I did not know that Kyle Lowry is leading the NBA right now in minutes played per game 38.4 minutes a game uh, a career high for him if uh, throughout a career, like a throughout a whole season that's one more minute than James Harden who is second in the league at 37.4 so Kyle Lowry at the age of uh, 32 is playing a lot of basketball right now but it's needed like if Kyle Lowry was not doing what he's doing right now Colin I'm not sure how many of these games the Raptors would even be in like he's just been phenomenal and I know when uh, the season began people were wondering you know what do you do with Kyle Lowry is he a potential trade candidate come uh, the deadline if things aren't going well well they signed him to that extension and people were wondering well can you still potentially move him in the offseason like is this a guy that you should be looking at trading I just don't know how you can do it. Like from a fan standpoint and from a goodwill standpoint, this guy's given it his absolute all um, his entire career with the Raptors. And now with all these bodies being down, he's, he's carrying this club on most nights. And it's just sort of a sentimental thing at this point, following the championship season, Kyle Lowry just needs to be a Raptor for life. Like, yeah. And, and look, I hear some people who are cautious saying, okay, you have to move off players before they decline, but you're seeing from Kyle Lowry right now that he is not declining. He has been the heartbeat of this team all season. And I, I really look at him as a player that needs to be in the discussion more in terms of the top players in the league for what he's done with a really banged up Raptors team. I will say this though, once they get healthier, Nick nurse has to monitor those minutes. Yeah. Like he can't keep up this pace and you can't expect that Kyle Lowry is going to be fresh come the playoff time. And that is really what this team has to be marching towards. So that's something that he's going to have to monitor, but Nick nurse has no choice right now. There's just no one left to play. So he has to play almost every minute of every game. Yeah. And you wonder what this might mean come the trade deadline, just for the Raptors making some additions, because it'd be nice to, to find a guy that could help out with the uh, guard um, spots right now, because with Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry being 
in the same lineup together, it's difficult to monitor those minutes because before it would be Fred Van Vliet coming off the bench last year to relieve Kyle Lowry and, and you know, take some of those minutes away. But you play those two guys together right now. And, and maybe that's what Nick Nurse was looking to do with Terrence Davis, pushing the right buttons, get this guy going, and then he can be someone that can take the load off a little bit for Kyle Lowry, um, be more uh, of a guy that can, you know, handle the ball on the court and uh, play some of those backup point guard minutes. So really interesting to see uh, how the Raptors are going to fare once they uh, get a lot healthier. Um, we were wondering before, you know, the sort of the ceiling of the team. And it was just a few weeks ago, everybody's saying, hey, don't sleep on the Raptors. Maybe they can repeat. And now it's like, uh, well, they have struggled against really good teams. So I don't know if uh, it's all the way there when it comes to uh, this Raptors team ceiling being, you know, a team that can return to the NBA finals. I think they would uh, potentially fall short of that even when healthy. Uh, but we know you're going to get a great effort every night um, that this team plays. They do not give up. They are resilient. Uh, they will battle until the final whistle. So you love seeing that. We know how much P, uh, sports fans here in uh, the city of Toronto love the grits. They love uh, the blue-collar work ethic, and you're getting a lot of that with the Toronto Raptors right now as uh, they will take on DeMar DeRozan and the San Antonio Spurs tomorrow. Uh, qu another quick thought on Kyle Lowry, and uh, I've been wondering this over the last little while, watching the way he's been playing. You look at the Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, and it's definitely one of the more easy, like easier Hall of Fames to get into. You look at the list of players that have gotten in that have or not even won a championship to, to get in. And there was that uh, graph, I think, uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago when it was listed as like the top players of the decade in the NBA when it come, came to like wins above replacement or whatever. Kyle Lowry's in the top 10, like uh, right up there. Uh, LeBron James leading the way, Steph Curry and others. But Kyle Lowry has been one of the best players in the last 10 years in the NBA. And like you mentioned, Colin, sort of gone under the radar when it comes to his impact. People think about him prior to the championship as a, a playoff choker and a guy that, you know, doesn't show up for the big games. Well, last year he showed up, finally got his ring. And I wonder now, Mark, if that, you know, uh, means that Kyle Lowry is trending towards um, Springfield, Massachusetts, and, and going to the Hall of Fame when it's all said and done. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer for, for me personally. I, I I know there's bias just having watching him in the city for so long, but you mentioned about him being under the radar. Like, I just feel like his whole, like, even just coming to Toronto, that was just a very under-the-radar acquisition. I think it was Brian Colangelo that brought him in, and the Raptors were kind of treading water at that point. It was just an off-season move to to get him. And, you know, he, there you go. He's dominated the last decade for the Raptors after after coming aboard. And, and you know, he's he delivered the championship. And I feel like he has the respect of his peers, which is huge, too. Like, I think if you ask, I can't remember who it was now, but uh, it was either a former teammate or, or somebody like that that they were playing. And he was he was absolutely like the praise they were heaping on Kyle Lowry, which is like, this is a guy you want to win with. So, um to me, he is. I think, like in in the minds of people and uh, people fans outside of Toronto, he might be in the Hall of you know very good and, and not the Hall of Fame. But I, you know, he passes the eye test for me every single night. And like you guys mentioned, he's been the catalyst for for this team this season when they've been so banged up. Yeah, and I think just for, for Kyle Lowry and the Raptors, I think it's just the era too, right? Like Rob said, there are some guys who've got into the NBA Hall of Fame where you kind of scratch your head and you wonder, they weren't necessarily great players, they were pretty good, but they got Hall of Fame status. And for Kyle Lowry, you know, he grew up playing an era with LeBron James, Steph Curry, guys like that, Russell Westbrook and James Harden who get a lot of love. And I think Kyle Lowry 
in a way, just just hasn't got that same amount of love and attention, but it, it's deserved this season for sure. Yeah, it's been a phenomenal bounce back year for Kyle Lowry when it comes to the you know stats. Uh, he was a monster in the playoffs and you know helped the Raptors win that championship last year, and he's really carrying them right now with all the injuries that they are dealing with at the moment as they will host the Spurs tomorrow night down at Scotia Bank Arena. One more segment left to come. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove, Colin Teske, Rob Wong, and uh, Mark Boffa with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Subscribe to the Leafs Hour podcast with your favorite podcatcher, Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Hot Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network, Rob Wong, Colin Teske, and Mark Boffa with you. This reminds me of the days when uh, I'm still watching music videos. Like, I st- like, I watch music videos on YouTube from time to time. Like, I'm not into it as much as I used to be, where I used to go to a friend's house because they had cable so that we could sit there and watch, like, the top 30 countdown. I can still recite. If I hear a song, I know exactly what happened <laughs> in that music video. And I always bring that up, and none of my friends care, but yeah. that's something that I can still recite. Man, the hours spent watching music videos, pop-up video, like, just those were my summers, just wasting away, sitting on the couch, um, you know, watching Before 4 Mark, your favorite uh, Canadian pop band of all time. Uh, that's... Hey, if you got me pegged. That's uh, completely <laughs> accurate. Uh, might have met, uh, might have met one of the members once upon a time at a pickle barrel, but not wow. a big, not a big deal or anything. Definitely not a big deal. I've seen the pictures, so I've seen the uh, photographic evidence of uh, that going down. And, and the two brothers, I guess, from B44, they became like big classical uh, singers, right? They had like a, a hit for a while there. They were pretty popular. But uh, whatever happened to the other guy that you got the picture with? Uh, Ohad, I yeah. think he uh, became uh, got into like the tech world or something. Oh, nice! I, I read somewhere. I did a little follow up <laughs> on it. Uh, anyways, uh, what's going on in sports? Yeah, how many random uh, Canadian pop bands can we name? That will be a segment for a future episode of the Sportsnet Hot Stove. So we got the news today that uh, Bianca Andreescu is uh, going to miss the Australian Open, still recovering from uh, knee. Her uh, knee injury needs to rehab it, so she's going to take it easy. And while it's uh, difficult to uh, not watch her play at this tournament coming off such a sensational season, I'd rather her miss out on the first Grand Slam of the year and have a healthy 2020 than try to gut it out and, you know, suffer the, uh, maybe, uh, you know, aggravate the injury again and then, you know, have a really tough 2020. So I like the fact that she's listening to her body. She's realizing, like, I just need to take it easy and I want to make sure I can get through the entire year. Expectations are high, as we know, for Bianca. Andrescu coming off that incredible 2019 with three wins, including the U.S. Open title and the Rogers Cup. So the, the sky is the limit. You know, I, I imagine for her, like she would like to be world number one at the end of the year when uh, maybe a few other Grand Slam titles. There are still some very good players in her way, of course, of, of accomplishing those goals. But uh, very evident that she is, uh, you know, right now, one of the top female tennis players uh, in the entire world. 
But when it comes to the men's side, guys, I think it's going to be really interesting this year because Milos Raonic is the mainstay. Uh, he's a guy that's battled with injuries as well. And when he's healthy, he can compete, of course, with some of the top players in the world. But we saw this uh, past week at the ATP Cup, Felix Auger, Eliasim, and uh, no, uh, Denis Shapovalov taking on Novak Djokovic there in the quarterfinals. These two guys are the next wave. We're all expecting them to take a jump this year. Uh, but I see that match against Djokovic, and I go, yeah, Shapo was in it till the end, but Djokovic still too good and got the job done. Uh, what are your expectations for the, the men uh, this year, guys? Because I, I think they can take a step. I think we're going to see some really impressive wins this year by Felix and Dennis. Do I think they're going to win a Grand Slam or anything this year? No, I think that's still a tough task. But can I see Dennis getting a win over one of the big three and same with Felix this year? Yeah, I can because I think those guys have the potential and the talent right now in order to, to do those things. Colin? Yeah, I think if I'm just looking at it, Rob, I, I would say that Dennis Shapovalov, OJ Aliassim will, will get a win over a top three player this year at a major like that that's kind of where I see their ceiling I don't think they can win at that level yet I think they still have some time to develop but I, I would say right now the gap is closing and, and that Djokovic match like you mentioned I think gives a lot of Canadians hope that Denis Shapovalov could pull off that kind of upset very soon yeah I, I you know I it's just tough to see to say that definitively that they'll win win uh, a great deal this year. The men's side of the draw is still pretty stacked. Um, but for me, a successful season for Chapo and OJ Aliassim will just be consistency. Like if you can stay ranked in the top 10 to 15 all season long and just add some consistency to your game where you're making, you know, quarterfinals, uh, you know, a win would be great. And obviously, uh, Andrescu, raise the bar uh, for for the men after getting the U.S. Open. But um, I think it's just, you know, baby steps. And you just want to, you know, Ojeali Asim is still only 19 years old. And I think if you can just, if you see consistent approach to their game where they're ranked in the top 10 to 20 by the time the year's out, I think that's what you want to see. And I'm with you on uh, Bianca, Rob. I think you know, slow it down a bit. You obviously want to continue on with that momentum after the U S open, but you don't want something to be re-aggravated. A uh, quick shout out to Jeannie Bouchard, who uh, had a nice little start to her 2020 at uh, her tournament down under and uh, got a couple of wins before losing uh, the other day in uh, the quarterfinals. So Jeannie Bouchard, who is sort of the uh, forgotten person in all of this as we're trying to see, you know, if she can uh, at least get back to, to somewhat of a respectable level because it's been such a tough go, but um, definitely someone that uh, if she can turn it around this year would be a, a great story as well. So we'll uh, see what uh, Canadian tennis has in store for us in 2020 should be a very exciting season on all fronts as uh, we are uh, waiting to see what will happen this year uh, with all of those youngsters that'll do it for this edition of the sportsnet hot stove thanks to colin teske and mark boffo i'm rob wong coming up next it's uh, roger lejoie and josh goldberg from hometown hockey in vaughn stay tuned you're listening to the sportsnet radio network